0: Well, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in to the Youth and Culture podcast, where youth ministry and culture collide. I'm your host, Ryan Sebastian, and I'm joined with my co-host, David Pinkham.
1: Happy Friday, everybody. It's a great day to be alive. The wife is 35 weeks pregnant, and we are in the last month of the baby development stage. So, we hopefully will not drop an episode in the next month. (laughs) Well, we will not drop out of dropping an episode, whatever the terminology is for dropping episodes.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. So you're, you're going to be definitely going to be busy.
1: Yes. Um, we may have to do a couple of backlog interviews just so that, uh, well, let's just put it this way. You guys may be hearing only Ryan's
0: voice some point over the next month or two. (laughs) Hey, there is nothing wrong with the question I have to ask is, um, are they actually allowing you to go in and see the birth of your child, uh, and all that all that mess? Because I know there's a lot of mess with that right now in some mm-hmm. hospitals. Well,
1: um, so a couple things, and for those of you who have uh, delicate sensibilities, you may want to skip a few seconds. But, um, she's allowed to have one other person in the birthing room, whatever they call that, um, and that will be me, and uh. With the exception of my second twin, I have been the one to deliver all of my children in the hospital because we go through a office of midwives, and they are very caring and understanding about our desires to be involved in the uh, birth of my children. And so um, I have actually had the privilege of catching all of my kids except for Deacon because he came out feet first, and I don't know how to do that. So the doctor stepped in. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it's an amazing process. Um, it, it's an amazing thing to be the first person on the planet to hold your child, and um, and then immediately give them to their mother so they can have that skin to skin contact and and start the the post womb experience, it's a
0: bonding experience.
1: <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's awesome. It's a it's a great experience, um, and even uh, doing that with them once they get a little bit of mommy time, um, just. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I think one of God's favorite activities is to make babies and being a, being allowed to be a part of that is it's a blessing. It's a huge blessing.
0: Yeah. I have to admit that I have, I did not catch either one of my kids and I'm not, and I'll be totally They're slippery. With you, what, <laughs> if, <laughs> if I had to catch my kids, I'll probably would pass out. <laughs> so I'm just not, <laughs> not, not into that. Of course, uh, and y'all, y'all, y'all who are listening, may call me a wimp. It's okay. Uh, but I have some kind of condition. I forget the name of it. Is that whenever I see my own blood, like gushing out, blood like really bad, I get queasy, mm. and I have to put my head between my my legs before I pass out. Huh. Uh, that's the reason I can't give blood. I want to give blood. Uh, I know it's it, it's a benefit, not only a help in it for you personally, but it's also uh, good to just help those in need. I've always wanted to do it, but I never can because I pass out. Uh, and That's my wife, funny. my wife calls me a pansy because she gives blood all the all the time. She calls me a little pansy, but so I can't. I I didn't have never caught my kids for the fear of me passing out. Um, <laughs> now, what's neat is I, I got to see the pl- placenta, and I thought that was cool. I didn't pass out for that, but anyway. So I, I'm envious of you, David. I just, I just can't do it. Never been able to do it, and I've always been envious of those who can. It's okay, uh, man.
1: I can As long
0: as I can't smell anything, I'm good.
1: <laughs> I'm not allowed to clean up throw up in my house because if I do, my wife will be cleaning up too. Yes,
0: yes. Well, <laughs> David, I, I'm I uh, really look uh, enjoy listening to your interview with Zach. I think mm-hmm. Zach uh, Williams. If I remember Johnson. correctly. Johnson. Okay, I told you I'm terrible names. Um <laughs> Zach Williams but, is a singer. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I don't know why I was thinking about Zach Williams. Uh but the conversation I think it was it was very needed is talking about biblical illiteracy and postmodernism specifically yeah. in uh student ministry realm and how that uh, how that applies there and works there. Uh, I think it was a pretty a good discussion to talk about because I I like you uh, and you believe this as well. There is a major issue that uh, happened in our culture where biblical illiteracy um, has gotten worse generation by generation. Yep. Uh, to right now, that Generation Z is actually considered the most unreached generation in U.S. history, um, if not world history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of that is enacted to the fact that the church has has failed and really and well actually the church and parents. Okay. Parents is mixed in with that and of uh, really discipling their children. And and what I mean not just giving them knowledge, it's more than just knowledge, but also uh teaching them, bring them up and discipling to make other disciples and reproducing themselves. And it's something I've been convicted to as as a parent. I'm not perfect as a parent. Um, those who are listening are probably struggling with this as well. It's, but that's a goal for us as, as parents and as a church is is to bring up the next generation in discipleship. And part of that is uh, being, don't understand what God's word says, uh, understanding how to what you believe and why you believe it, mm-hmm. and how to to pour in and discipleship others in that as well. So I really enjoyed y'all's conversations your y'all hit point on this very very well yeah
1: I think that's something that uh, even though they may be the most unreached generation I think they're also the most receptive at the moment um, and it's not necessarily because it's a, an, an innate receptivity it's because they're searching for something um, and I mean that's, that's built into us so I'm really excited about the
0: conversation today well guys stay tuned as we talk with Zach Johnson,
1: hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited. To interview a friend of mine today, who's not just a friend but also a fellow youth pastor in my area, and so we are both doing ministry together, uh, involved in the local schools through FCA, and just uh, striving together to push our students towards Jesus. And his name is Zach Johnson. So, Zach, welcome to the podcast today, man.
2: Hey, man, glad to be here.
1: Yeah. So, um, since we're you know out in the middle of nowhere, uh, Virginia, and uh, nobody knows who we are, why don't you uh, give everybody kind of an intro to who is Zach Johnson and and what you've been up to for the last 18 months to two years. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, so like you said, my name is Zach Johnson. Uh, I'm the associate pastor of families and students um, out of Oakland Baptist Church. It's like just down the road here from where David's at. Um, and I started this job in the middle of the pandemic. Um, so I got hired uh, September of 2020. So it's right dab smack in the middle of all of this. Um, and I kind of got brought on for me in weird, uh, weird timing before I was hired at Oakland. Uh, I was a traveling missionary inside of the U S with a life, ac- um, with life action ministries. Um, I traveled on uh, one of the teams as the student revivalist. <clears throat> and so I went all over the country. I was with a new church like every week talking to different youth groups and then COVID hit and you're basically just not allowed to travel anymore. <laughs> yeah. And so we were in the middle of Alabama and they were like, Hey, you're going home. <laughs> And so they shipped us home, and I I was sitting at home and had nothing to do because it's a pandemic, and um, my my soul was just longing to be back in ministry, so I really started diving in and looking for churches that were um, still looking to hire and still looking to move in this process in the middle of all this, and um, I mean, God was just so good, and he he showed Oakland, um, had a couple different conversations, and then came on there as their um,
1: main role being the youth pastor, but there are some other roles that go into all of that. Well, we all know that the only line on the job description that matters is the one at the bottom that says, and other duties as assigned by the senior pastor. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, So today's interview is going to be a little bit unique because this is the first interview that I've ever done live in person. Uh, Normally we record on like Zoom or Zencaster or something, and um, we actually have the opportunity to do it in person in the same room because we're in the same area so if you hear other noises you're not used to hearing that's because i managed to choose the loudest chair in the world to sit in um, for this so every time i move it sounds weird Uh, (laughs) and uh, i'm trying a new feature on my microphone that allows us to record separate Uh, Parts of the microphone. It's really cool. Blue Yeti sponsor us. Just kidding. They're not a sponsor Uh, (laughs) So Zach um, one of the things that you and I have constant conversations about obviously is about youth ministry and how we can reach the youth in our particular uh, community and context Uh, and one thing that kind of both of us have noticed over the years is that the um, biblical literacy rate in America has basically just declined like massive so really the question is why do you think biblical literacy illiteracy is so rampant in america considering the fact that we have a plethora of available scripture and translations and methods of reading it
2: yeah i think um <clears throat> i think the growth is actually what in in my mind is what is um adding to biblical literacy so much it's not just that okay well everybody can get a bible if they want one everybody can get a bible in whatever translation They understand the best. Everybody can get books on books on books on how to read scripture. You can also go on your computer at any given point and type in sermons on blank, sermons on forgiveness, sermons on pain, sermons on uh, God's will for my life. Like you can type it into YouTube and never stop watching just on the one subject. And so, with that, what's happened is people have stopped having this desire to actually go to the Word. to find their answers they're going to sermons on youtube to find their answers which isn't necessarily a bad thing until you stop vetting who you're listening to yeah and even at the end of the day if the only intake that you're taking if the only thing that you're taking in is sermons from other people and you're never going to the word you're still secondhand hearing from god Mm -hmm. you're still choosing to listen to the words of man who uh, I, my uh, prayer is that these pastors who are posting these videos are diving into the Word and, and they have their own relationship with God that they're actively growing in but you don't know that so why would you secondhand take the Word of God instead of going to it for yourself and going okay what does Scripture say about forgiveness what does Scripture call me to do for in God's inside of God's will what does in all these different things that we Google all of the time and so I I think that what it is is the access to um, different speakers, and we've we've gone to this idea of, cool. Well, if this pastor can tell me who what this says, then I can just trust him and move on with him. But then we don't ever look into the pastors who are the guys who are your prosperity gospels, your health and wealth guys, your people who are just nuts.
1: Name and it, and claim it. Yeah, you're
2: <laughs> like there are these guys who are just I mean, just preaching heresy. And, but but we hear this one fifteen minute clip that just it made my heart feel good or fifteen second <laughs> clip now because yeah TikTok. and so <laughs> and it's like there we've gone to we want good communicators not faithful communicators
1: yeah I, I would agree with that I think the other thing um and this just popped up while while you were mentioning um just the availability of, of pastors and and preachers and and clips on YouTube just I mean you you could YouTube verses. Um, and watch sermons or sermon series through verses. Um, Like one of the things our church does is we upload our worship services to YouTube and our pastor's going through James. So in like a month or two, you can watch an entire series of sermons through the entire book of James Um, because he preaches verse by verse as he goes through. So that's also an availability thing. But I think what kind of stacks the problem even worse is that um, you're hearing... One, someone else's thoughts on it. Um, I I think that we've gotten into a point where people read scripture and they get to certain parts and they get it's like oh this is kind of confusing. So instead of saying Lord help me process through this and work it out and then get clarification, they just go straight to the clarification and like somebody else explain it to me. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah this I I don't have time for this so I'll just put it on YouTube two times speed so I can get through faster. Yeah, <laughs> then, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's another issue because, um, but that kind of puts us back into the dark ages where the Catholic Church was like, no, you peasants don't read it. The priest will tell you what mm-hmm. the Bible says. That's kind of scary. Uh, and I think we've gotten there um, pretty quickly. And that's what's, I think, allowed um, modernism and postmodernism to to creep in. Uh, and that's something else that I know you got to, you got some opinions on, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and, and that's I think
2: for in the way that my mind looks at it, it is they they've been walking side by side. You have biblical literacy and then postmodernism are walking down this path together, and the farther they go down, the closer they get. Mm. Um, give a little bit of a history lesson for those that don't uh, know. Modernism was this whole idea that. Uh, you can't know, or you can know true, or there is objective truth, but you can't know it. So that there is this idea, and this was stemming a little bit farther back than any of us that would be listening to this, but this is, it's important to get to postmodernism. Um, but it's this idea, like, there is objective truth. Like, there are truths, there are things in the universe that are absolute, but you can't know it. So your goal as a human is to try and find it. Our goal as human beings collectively is to try and find this truth. We're supposed to all work together for the greater good of all humans. And that was that was great. That was what started all these different um, revolutions of, of like um, industries and these things. They just start exploding because people want to work together. Mm-hmm. They're wanting these good things to happen. They're wanting all of this to, for the good of of humanity to come together. It sounds nice. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> and then World War Two, and Thanks, you Hitler. have literally, literally, that's exactly <laughs> what happens. Hitler comes in and he does everything that he does, and he kills millions and millions of people. For his idea of a better humanity. And then basically, what happens to modernism is people see what Hitler did, and they were like, if this is what happens as we strive together, I want no part of this. And then postmodernism begins to creep in generation after generation. And it's moved from this idea of there is objective truth, you just don't know it, to it now moves to there is no objective truth so do what you want to do you do you boo boo yes <laughs> i mean think think of the 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 dumbest saying that's that's come into the last 3 years live your truth ugh how much sense does it make to live your truth what does that even mean i, I, I exactly <laughs> and that's like a very postmodern mindset mm-hmm. um oftentimes and and i've seen this with people that I know, people that I've talked to about this. I've seen this in myself. Like, We do not realize how um, postmodern our mindset is until we begin to look at it. Um, the, the way that I always look at it is, and me and Lee, that's uh, the senior pastor of the church I work at. We've had this conversation a lot. If I listen to somebody preach, everything out of their mouth is an absolute truth until I don't agree with it, and then it's their opinion. That is postmodernism. Oi! You can say whatever you want to say, and it's truth as long as I agree with you. And the moment you say that two plus two equals four, but I think it equals five, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm gonna go my way. You're gonna go yours. And we want to do that with everything. And it, it it's gotten into the church. Yeah. I mean, it, I like I said before. I before I came to Oakland, I was traveling, and I was at. I mean, I think I was at 47 different churches in 2 years. Wow. Um and the amount of like problems that you see in these churches that all stems from people not being willing to submit to the word of God. Because they have this mindset that, well, no, that's not what this says, so I'm going to believe this over the word of God. I'm going to believe what I want to believe over the word of God. And so it's not just postmodernism or postmodernism in the the culture as a whole but it's postmodernism in the church mm-hmm. like i can believe whatever i want to believe as long as i'll read the same seven verses over and over again and it that shapes my theology
1: yeah i and i want you guys to notice um what zach mentioned was an unwillingness to submit to the word of god not an unwillingness to submit to the authority of their pastor or their particular church's bylaws or some their sunday school teacher what they were teaching or even their youth pastor it's a it's a lack of desire to submit to the authority of scripture in your life and the thing that's i think at least for me that's frustrating about this is if you if you stick to i'm going to hold things to the authority of scripture that's going to be the standard the objective standard then that's how you hold other people accountable. That's how you hold your pastor accountable. That's how you hold your deacons and your elders and, and whatever other leadership structure you have at your church. You hold everybody to the same standard, that of scripture. Not the same standard of, oh, how I feel this morning because I didn't have a good cup of coffee or I haven't had my morning constitutional yet or something like that. You know, it, it's, it's this, I think all of this is wrapped up in, we are driven by how we feel. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's not even necessarily how we feel about a particular subject. It's how we feel in the moment. Because mm-hmm. there are times I could tell you, uh, just, uh, listen to my pastor preach. He, he preaches faithful expositional preaching. And there are times where I'm just like, this is awesome. I'm loving it. And then there are other days I walk out of the service and my toes hurt because <laughs> he's been stomping on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I can't get mad at him because like a faithful preacher, he hides behind God's word. <laughs>
2: yeah and, and that's a that's a conversation me and a buddy of mine were having the other day is because you talking about the, the frustrating side of it um I didn't understand this until I actually stepped into the pastorate um, and I'm not a senior pastor so I don't make those like final final calls but uh, I'm very thankful for that at the moment amen <laughs> um and, and when I was on the road like I never understood that I was like no like just just do it like like be faithful like you talk about being faithful you're not willing to like just rip the band-aid off and then I, you step into a church setting for full, full, like full time, and and you just understand like people are the worst. <laughs> like, and somebody asked me the other day, it was like, "What's your favorite thing about your job? People, hands down." Oh yeah. What's the worst thing about your job? People, people. hands down. And this is not two different <laughs> groups of people. This is the same person are collectively <laughs> the best and the worst thing about my job. And and watching that and not understanding like why you would like if you have such a love for the word and a love for the Lord why you would not be faithful to that and then you realize that because these people come in and they say these things that are discouraging or frustrating and they and they put all this on you and then now you're wanting okay well I don't want to make them upset or I don't want to do this to that one person that I'm thinking of and it makes it so much easier in my mind to now go okay well my standard is no longer the word but my standard is these people's emotions but no matter the situation that you're in, you're always called to that standard being the word. Because if that standard's not the word, then what are you standing on? What are you doing?
1: Yeah. Why are you there?
2: Especially <laughs> when, especially, and this is something that I've been diving into recently, is um like emotionalism and, and sentimentalism. Like when you start really preaching out of that and like leading people out of like, oh, how they're feeling and pouring into those emotions, you see growth. Like that's the hardest thing about it is like, Dude, if, if we have youth groups that do nothing but play games and have fun and like have like group therapy sessions where we talk about our feelings, I guarantee you more will come. Because that's how it works. If you give them what they want, they come to it. But I mean the reality is, is like we're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. I mean, my favorite example is um Isaiah in the chapter six is we we have this beautiful moment where Isaiah sees the glory of God. He sees the angels in the throne room saying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts." And he hits his face and says, "Woe is me!" And he's like just so clearly sees his sin, and God grants him that forgiveness. And then God says, "Who will, who's gonna go for me?" And Isaiah's like, "Dude, right here! Like like you got me! Like I, I'm good! Like I'll go wherever you say." Yeah. And then we stop reading after verse seven.
1: Mm.
2: Like we never read the rest of the chapter six. And I can tell you that because I never read the rest of chapter 6. <laughs> it's always in college. The rest of chapter 6 is how God tells Isaiah that he's going to go to a people and he's going to fail miserably. Yeah, You're going to go and they're not going to listen to you. You're going to go and you're going to say the, the thing that I'm calling you to say over and over and over again. And they are going to reject you every step of the way. Yep, He does the same thing with Jeremiah. Exactly. And And, and we look at this and if we do that today, like we look back at these guys and they're like, look how faithful they are. But we, then we do that today, and, and you're now the youth pastor of a group of six kids in the middle of a pandemic, and you're just not seeing any more come in because you can't go out to them,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you're going, God, how am I being successful right now? Like, how am I doing this the way that I was trained to do this at school, and realizing that the only way that you can define your success is by the faithfulness that you have to the Word? Mm.
1: That'll preach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Uh, I think that we have somehow managed to, um, in, instead of just utilizing the tools that the world has created in order to get the gospel out, we have utilized the tools that the world has created to try to be as successful as the world looks. Yes. And um, you you said it like we could very easily if we wanted to go back to pizza party, big fun, youth groups, we could do that and we would probably get a lot of kids and we would be burned out pretty quickly and we'd get super frustrated because our kids would be having a blast, they'd be having fun and be going straight to hell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, We we can't give them what they want. We have to give them what they need. I remember being a teenager. What I wanted was sinful. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Like a lot and I was saved already. (laughs) so i can only imagine what teenagers who don't have a clue who jesus is want i mean i i watch it and i hear it and it's disgusting um but uh, a lot of the time but what they need is the gospel they need a faithful uh teaching and they need a faithful uh modeling Mm -hmm. for for life because we can preach at them till we're blue in the face but if we're not living it then we're not successful because biblical success is biblical faithfulness. Absolutely, and and that's why I think um, even though it sounds nice to do what feels right and to do what feels good, or as Wendy's used to say, do what tastes right, um, which is still Wendy's, um, it, that that is a lifestyle that is built around doing everything that we feel. And you mentioned this example earlier: two plus two equals four, and. That's the absolute objective truth of life. Two plus two is four, even if it hurts your feelings.
2: Yes.
1: And there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, you can feel your way around it. You can use extremely large quantities of two. You're still getting four. You're never going to get five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And and that's the kind of thing where people don't take the translation of just those simple facts, like something as silly as an, a math example, into real life objective Situations. Um, I just watched a clip the other day of, um, it was a Q&A session at a conference uh, from a long time ago, and uh, R.C. Sproul was on the panel, and the question was, both of my brothers are not saved, and one of them doesn't believe in sin, and therefore doesn't believe that we need a savior. What? How do I explain to him that sin is a real thing? And R.C. Sproul goes, steal his wallet. <laughs> I mean there are there are things that we can we can shape our life around and and try to make it sound um, nice and good and oh this it's so pretty and then one thing you pull out one leg and it doesn't have anything to stand on because postmodernism is stupid absolutely <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense to me
2: yeah and it it's 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 a defense mechanism i mean and you see this in like with animals and stuff like they have this one thing to help protect them against the other things that want to eat them Mm -hmm. and it's become like what people are doing is they're they've backed themselves up and they put this shell around themselves of like no like if i just close my eyes like they do what the kids do when they play hide and seek when they're really really young they close their eyes and they put their hands over their face i can't see him he can't see me and they they put the shell around their lives and they're like if i can't tell them they're wrong they can't tell me i'm wrong and i can do whatever i want to do And we've had this conversation before, but a lot of postmodernism goes into this whole like atheist, agnostic like thought process, and and the reality is this, and like Scripture tells us this, like there is no such thing as an atheist. Like you are either agnostic or you are an anti-theist. Like you believe, like you want to disprove God, but Scripture talks to us all the time about about like like we know that there has to be a creator. You can actively make the statement that you want to deny a creator, but you know he's there. You know that there is something. Whether you know that's the God of the Bible or whatever you want to say that it is, you know there's something. Mm -hmm. And they've, they've taken that idea of like, no, there is nothing better than this. Like this life is all that I have to live for. And they've put this shell around them and they're like, I need to stay protected in my little bubble. And if nobody tells me I'm wrong, then I can stay in here.
1: Yeah. And I think that's part of it. No one likes being told they're wrong. Absolutely. I hate it. Uh, you know what's worse than being told that I'm wrong? Finding out that I'm actually wrong. <laughs> like you can argue with someone and at the end of the argument, you could find out you were right and you're like, well, I knew that all along. But the the only thing worse than being told I'm wrong is finding out I'm actually wrong and then feeling like an idiot afterwards. And, I, and that's part of the problem because when it comes to the grand scheme of things, the 3,000 foot view, I guess you could say... What what the Christian church is telling the world is you're wrong. You're not God. Mm-hmm. And there is a God who you are responsible to because he created you. And when we hear that truth, um, we don't like it because we want to be our own God. Mm-hmm. And we make, uh, there's another uh, podcast I listen to that's for dads. And he always says, we make terrible gods. <laughs> We're the worst. <laughs> um, I've seen several movies about some of like, these Greek tragedies and like the Homer's Odyssey, the, the Iliad, that kind of stuff. I've seen movies based on this. And the, the gods, the way that the Greek gods are presented, they're, they're basically petty children that just do stuff on a whim. That's us. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I had I had a buddy of mine on the road who um, he he was the student revivalist for one of the other teams, and I'm trying to remember how he said it exactly, but he um, he he made this quote, and he said, uh, "How can we, as the people who get tired, expect to make a god who doesn't?" <laughs> <laughs> and and like, dude, he said that, and we were we were at camp still when he was um, working on that lesson in particular, and he said that, and I was just like, "Dang, like." Not just like even making myself into that person I'm putting on the podium or I put on the pedestal like, like anything I make into that like whether it, it's my fiance or for you like your wife or your kids like anything that we take and we put up there, we elevated it. How can we not expect it to mess up? Mm. And that and that even I in my mind is more clearly. Escalated when you put yourself on that pedestal when you are just absolutely elevating yourself. Dude, I get tired just talking to people. I'm a huge introvert. So, like talking to people is draining. So you're gonna have to take a nap after this? Absolutely. <laughs> Why would I put myself on a pedestal? Yeah. Dude, I get annoyed with myself. Oh, amen, brother. Why would I think that I'm worth following or worth listening to or, or worth worshiping? Like it it, it makes no sense. And then we get back in this happy mood and be like, oh, no, I'm the greatest thing that's ever happened
1: to yeah. humanity. It's like... I hate pride. Whoa. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so the million dollar question then, knowing the, the truth of behind all of this, as we seek to teach and disciple and model the Christian life and, and biblical faithfulness to our students, the, the big question is, how do we help them see that for the majority of people, even in the church nowadays, they are functional atheists, quote unquote, um, functional postmodernists that just claim to believe in the God of the Bible because mm-hmm. they're treating it like it's a get-out-of-hell-free card. How do we, how do we help them see that they're trying to live a postmodern lifestyle, but still trying to also hold on to Jesus?
2: I think it starts with something that that the church got away from. Um, I know when I was a kid. And maybe when you were, you know you're a little bit older than I am. Um, I'm not that much older. <laughs> no, but ju- just enough <laughs> that there's the difference. Just enough. Um, and, and this is this is me. I've been and I've been talking to my kids. We've had some new kids coming in, and like um, some a lot of different backgrounds, which has been super cool. But it's forced us to have some uh, other conversations that I didn't realize my kids didn't already know. Mm. Um, one, we have to reinforce the truth of the word. Mm-hmm. Um. The way that you reinforce the truth of the word is not to tell somebody with a, the bat in one hand and the Bible in the other that the God of that the that the word of God is true. The way that you do that is basic apologetics. Like, um, we we have gotten away as the ch- from the church of being actually able to defend our faith. Mm. Um, take them through history, like show them like like, and that's the cool thing. Like we don't have to like. Yes, there's faith involved in, in my religion, and in, in Christianity, there's faith involved. But there's more evidence than there is faith. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I feel like we have to start with. Like, Take the Bible. You've been told your whole life that it's true. Now let me tell you why it's true. Mm-hmm. Now let me tell you that when you leave this group, you can not be the 95% that doesn't come back. You can be that 5% that remains faithful because I know what I'm standing on is truth. And why? And And, and now the why. That's a big one. And that and that gets into so many things. And, it, and it's not... And, like, apologetics begins at Scripture. If you can understand Scripture is true, now you have the foundation, okay, this is who God is. This is who you are before a holy God. This is who Jesus is, and now what He's done for you. And it begins to build a foundation for so many other things. We have to just stop telling people, this is true, this is true, this is true. We have to show them the why. Mm-hmm. Um... And I think that's what's driving so many students from the church in particular because they're in a generation right now that they want the why. And their parents are a generation right now that
1: don't know the why. And so they can't give it. Because the generation before that told them, because it's true. Yes. The generation (laughs) before that is the generation
2: that now sits in in their traditions and just says, we do what we do
1: because it's what we do. Because we've always done it that exactly. way. Exactly,
2: and now the, and now their children don't know that it's it, why they follow this truth. They just know that they do because they've had this interaction with Christ mm-hmm. and they've been changed by it. So they're walking in it. And now these kids who have never had that interaction with Christ, or maybe have, but they want more answers, are now going, "Okay, why do we do this?" Yeah, and and so it has to start with learning not just that it's
1: truth, but why it's truth. I think if you back up a little bit, um, part of the problem that of why we don't answer the why for them is because for some reason it's been ingrained in us that when someone says why, they're not saying why; they're pushing back and fighting you. It's a it's an authority issue. Like I I actually in high school had to I didn't sit my dad down because you don't do that with your parents. Um, I sat down with him. <laughs> I was like, hey, dad, I need to talk to you about something. We're both in a good mood. This is when I suggest you do this, in a, when you're both in a good mood. And I said, hey, dad, um, I, I want you to know something. It's just a personality issue for me. Um, but I've, I've watched how you interact with my older brother, and I'm not the same person. So I need you to know why, the differences. When he says why to you, he's fighting you. Um, that's pretty obvious. Uh, when I say why, it's because I genuinely want to know the reason. And and the example that I gave um, was, uh, and I give people this all the time, our curfew uh, growing up, a very Christian conservative home, our curfew was 10 o'clock in high school, unless we had band or something, because we're both band nerds. And <clears throat> I asked him one day, I said, Hey, I, I'm i not fighting you, but like, why is my curfew 10 o'clock? And he said, well, your mom is one of those moms that doesn't go to bed until all of our chicks are back in the nest, you know? And so she stays up until you come home and sometimes you're late because it's banned or work or something. And so I go to bed because I got work the next day and I fall asleep. And then when you get home, your mother crawls into bed and puts her icicle feet on my legs and it wakes me back up and I don't like that. So I need you home. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) So he gets a decent night's sleep so he can do work the next day. I got to be home by 10. Not a problem. And part of the other reason that was okay is because they told us that there were exceptions. If you asked ahead of time and you gave full information about what was going to go on, what was happening, and when you were planning to be home, then they were okay with it because they stayed informed. But I had to tell him, like, when I ask you why, it's because I want to know. And we have to take an attitude with our teens that when they ask us why, Maybe they are fighting us, but we need to have an attitude in the approach of they want to know information they want to know It's not that they want to fight us and and rail against us. Although some of them do They really do have a genuine curiosity as to why are you so? Adamant about how true this is. Why are you so adamant about being faith? Why do you keep bugging me about quiet time? <laughs> <laughs> because it's so important and mm-hmm. because of the truths of God's word and, and the history of of the church. I mean, people have died over issues that we can't be bothered with mm-hmm. in this era. And so I would agree with you teaching them the why, um, but also making sure our attitude is adjusted when we do explain it. Mm-hmm. Instead of going, Ugh, okay, fine. Yeah. Because we're not their parent. We can't say because I told you so. Mm-hmm. That's a parent's right. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm older and smarter than you, and I made the same mistake when I was your age, and I can't believe I'm watching it happen again right in front of me.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a battle. And it's, it's one of those things, too, of recognizing where some of them are at.
1: Mm-hmm. Some of these kids
2: who are asking your why's right now have a, a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're asking why. If they are rebelling, it's part of their flesh. If they're asking why because they want to know, either way, you should give an answer. But some of these kids are giving are asking this why, because they don't know Christ, and, and our understanding needs to be that if they're asking why and your response is to is to stuff that away, you're not helping them know who Christ is.
1: Mm.
2: And if we and we take that into into those conversations, even with our kids that we deeply believe know Christ we take in just a little piece of okay well maybe they're struggling with that there's so much more grace because you know at one point you struggled with that mm-hmm. and now you're going okay well well, here's what someone told me once here's what here's what blew my mind and just showed me the love of god and if we take that it's um it's the problem of age the, the older you get that you forget uh, how you used to feel. Mm-hmm. Um you know as a kid you're like, "Oh, my parents never understand me. Like they they never they never felt this way." They did. They are forgetting though. Mm-hmm. And and we have to especially as youth pastors, you deal with students constantly and pointing them to something that's more important than anything in their life. Mm-hmm. Than anything they will ever do in their life. We have to as as best we can keep a hold of that grace that we were once shown and
1: now show that to them. Yeah. And I think in addition to that, um, we have to remember that we are going to have to stay on repeat. Because if we're in the same church for any length of time, you're going to get a new set of kids every year. Your seniors will leave. Your seventh graders will come up or sixth graders, however you do it. And you're going to have to re-explain everything. Uh, And then, you know, five, six years down the road or maybe sooner, you're going to have to re-explain everything. And then you have to re-explain everything. We're 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 stuck on repeat, which means instead of just rolling your eyes and going, Oh, I gotta say this again, find a way to perfect it. Find a way to condense it. Find a way to make it easier to eat. Um, so that when your, you know, fifteenth set of seventh graders comes through and they're like, What? You go, here you go. Easy to understand, easy to digest, boom, done, moving on. And then you get the one kid who just doesn't care and doesn't actually wanna know why, just wants to fight you and then you just start praying really hard. <laughs> so, well, hey, man, um, I really appreciate you coming on today. And if people want to get in touch with you and discuss this further or ask you questions about context of doing church out in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, that kind of thing, what would be the best way to get in touch with you? Um, I'm
2: on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I check Facebook more regularly. I'm trying to stay off of Instagram because reels are addicting. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, <Don't preach. laughs> but if you shoot me a message on Facebook, uh, just Zach Johnson uh, or Zachary Johnson on Facebook. Um, or if you want to find my number, it's on the Oakland uh, Baptist Church in Disputana, Virginia's website. Uh, so you can reach out there. Um, I answer most phone calls because I just don't save people's phone numbers. So uh, <laughs> if you shoot
1: me a call, or shoot me a text, I'll probably answer it. Yeah, and please don't tell him you're trying to reach him about his car's extended warranty. Please don't. He'll probably hang up on you. Yep, immediately. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for coming on today. It was really good talking with you. Thank you, buddy.
0: Dude, I'm thankful for uh, you and Zach and y'all's conversation about this topic. Again, postmodernism of biblical literacy. I don't think it's talked about enough within the church. I don't think it's talked about enough with the student ministry. Um, of how can we as student pastors youth pastors and youth leaders, how can we uh, create a ministry that is really discipling our students into biblical literacy, um, into understanding postmodernism, understanding what you believe and why you believe it. And and in fact, where that starts is actually with parents. Mm-hmm. And how to partner alongside either like education pastor or discipleship pastor, small group pastor, whatever the title is um, at your church, how to partner alongside them, figuring out how, how can we as a church body make discipleship a priority um, that way students and, and children's ministry for that matter. Uh, kids are being brought up in discipleship, into biblical literacy, and understanding how to live their faith out in the postmodern world.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that we discussed in the conversation that I think we should probably highlight just maybe one last time um, is the fact that I think it's okay for students to struggle through stuff before they start finding answers somewhere else. Um, for some reason, our country has gotten to a point where we just absolutely hate any kind of struggle. Um, any kind of inconvenience or this is hard. And, and so uh, instead of saying, well, it's hard, so apply yourself and, and do the work, we just say, "We'll do something different. And, and you, know, you can give up and, and come back to it later or some other form of quitting. And um, I've even in the last six months to a year, I've readjusted the way that I encourage students to do their devotional time with the Lord. And I tell them like, if you have a devotional book you're going through, Make sure you read the passage first, write down some thoughts, some things that have stuck out to you, your understanding of it, and then seek clarification because as soon as you read someone else's thoughts, your thoughts on it are tainted. And yeah, they may be right, but that you're skipping the struggle for yourself to work through that stuff. And I think that's really important for students to understand the struggle before they become adults and don't have the safety of mommy and daddy to come home to and ask questions.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said that, and I'm going to say something that's going to be a, possibly a little controversial. And and again, I, I I don't mean it to be, but I mean mean it to be a conversation that we really need to think about. Um, I'll, I'm all for for devotions. Uh, I'm that's a great tool for someone who just comes to Christ uh, to mm-hmm. learn, to make it to learn how to spend time with God and have consistent time with, with Him. Uh, but at the same time, I think our idea of devotionals has been very deserving uh, when it comes to church, and mm-hmm. here's what I'm mean, being. But you just you just talked about it just a second ago. Is that uh, instead of us mulling over God's word and really deep diving and saying, God, why do you why do you telling me? How does this what I'm reading, where I'm spending time with you, how's this passage? Why do you? How does this speak to me? Why are you trying to say to me in this moment? how does this apply to me? How should I respond to this? Instead of mulling over that, we, we devotionals, we just read somebody else's, again, talking about else, somebody else's opinion, mm-hmm. uh, or somebody else's research or, or whatnot, instead of us ourselves mulling over what we're reading. And that's the reason why I'm a big, I'm a, and again, I wasn't at this place. Uh, I just entered this space probably in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it has to do with uh, with convictions. God's really convicted me over, over certain things, and understanding that um, I never really have taught my students how to really spend time with God's Word. I, I just throw out devotions, at mm-hmm. devotions at them, and that really teaches them how to really spend time with Him. Uh, so, I, so I, absolutely, I think I think that's part of many reasons uh, why uh, I think the church doesn't know how to spend time with God because we rely too much on people who are smart smart, quite frankly that we think are smarter than us yeah or people who are elegant in their words uh, rather than us ourselves really mulling over God's word uh, and really deep diving into it yeah Uh, my my senior pastor
1: would probably be the first one to tell you if he is the only one that you're getting bible from you're doing it wrong (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely, and,
1: and so you know the importance of doing yourself I think is paramount so uh, hopefully this um, episode today was encouraging for all of you and if you are uh, listening brand new or maybe you've been listening for a long time we just really appreciate you guys and if you'd be willing to please head over to the Apple Apple podcast leave us a comment star review let us know how we're doing um, we like five-star reviews but we prefer honesty uh, so uh, let us know how, how we're doing Um, And you can also connect with us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, uh, Youth and Culture Facebook group. We also have a page and uh, you can share that with other people as well. Uh, If you join the group, we can connect with you and talk with you. If there's questions you have or something that was mentioned in a podcast episode that you want clarification on, or maybe it's a topic that you'd like us to cover. Uh, And also, as we uh, mentioned last time, uh, we're now part of the RFP Network along with nine other podcasts. So check them out at RFPNetwork.org. And uh, there's a lot of great resources there. Uh, for those of you who may be looking for something in addition to youth ministry. um, And we'd love to uh, connect with you guys there as well.
0: Well, guys, stay tuned for our next episode.